All right, Titus chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. And it reads, This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. Okay. Verse 8. Uh, uh, Ty uh, actually touched on verse 8 last week, and I'm, just, I'm not going to stay on that long. I'm just going to kind of uh, go over what he had already talked about. But um, it says, this is a trustworthy saying, and he's talking about the previous verses, verses 4 through 7, and it means that it's just reliable. And it talks about God saving through, through grace and mercy. And that is trustworthy. That is we are, what we are to believe and to teach that God is a, a merciful and gracious God in saving us. And, and, and pastors are to, to teach that as a trustworthy saying. And he says, I want you to insist on these things. Uh, be insistent about it so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. And he says, those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Notice that he places belief in God before good works. He says those who have believed God as a result of their faith and believing and trusting God are to devote themselves to good works. Um, and as we all know, good works uh, is not our, doesn't make us saved, but we do those because we are saved. And that's why he placed belief in God before good works. Um, we were created for, for good works after our belief and trust in God. Uh, so so this, is, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God, who have faith in God, might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Um, after we become believers, our, our behaviors should change. And it's just, not just talking about good works as far as church is concerned, but uh, just good works um, in general, you know, whether it be community service. Um, that's one of the, 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 it should be one of the marks of our, of our faith. It's our, other people, non-believers in particular, seeing our behavior and our, and our good works as believers. That ought to be a, a mark of us as Christians. Um, our good works um, as a result of our belief in God. Okay, it should be a change in our behavior. Um, these are good and profitable for everyone. Uh, like I said, the good works are good and they're profitable. They're beneficial, not just for us as believers, but particularly, like I said, for non-believers. They're good and profitable for everyone. Okay, verse 9. But avoid foolish debates. Okay, let's break down all of these little... Foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes. Okay, foolish debates. And he's, the, the word avoid means to stand aloof from. Okay, avoid foolish debates. Foolish means ignorant, silly, senseless discussions. Okay, he didn't say avoid debates. He said avoid foolish debates. Um, we see debates a lot of time, a lot um, amongst Christians and atheists and those kind of things. And he's not talking about that because those are not foolish debates. Those are a lot of times necessary debates. But he said avoid foolish, silly, ignorant, unnecessary debates. Um, and it's so easy to get caught up into foolish debates. And I think probably all of us have been involved in foolish debates. <laughs> I know I have. Um, which don't profit anything. But he said avoid foolish debates. Um, Fullest, fullest, avoid ignorant, silly, senseless discussions about the law. And particularly in here, I think he's referring to 
circumcision, which the, uh, the Judaizers were teaching that you needed to be circumcised in addition to uh, believing in Jesus Christ. Um, some things uh, are not necessary to discuss even anymore. Um, things about the law, we are not saved by the law. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, avoid people who want to insist on uh, salvation being a work in addition to faith. Uh, circumcision is a work in addition to faith. You must be circumcised. And Paul said, avoid those kind of discussions, those kind of debates. Don't waste time on things that don't matter. And when we see debates between, you know, uh, a Christian and an atheist, that does matter. You know, but he's talking about stuff that doesn't matter as far as your salvation is concerned. Don't waste time on that. And we can waste a lot of time. And, we, and we've often, often discussed about getting into issues, even on Facebook, with people about theological issues um, and a lot of times you're just wasting your time because um, it's hard to do that uh, through social media. And, and so that can, that can turn into a foolish discussion and a foolish debate. And so we are to avoid those things. Uh, avoid foolish debates. Genealogies. What's he talking about? Genealogies, and he's talking about the Jews particularly who trace their descent from the patriarchs and their families. They traced their descent from a particular tribe, um, and so they, they became prideful about that. Ethnic pride, racial pride, if you will. Um, and Paul said, avoid those kind of discussions. There's nothing wrong with uh, being proud of your ethnicity or race, whatever term you want to use. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but uh, when you become prideful about it, like they were doing, um, well, I'm from the tribe of Judah. What tribe are you from? I'm from the tribe of Naphtali. I'm from, the, from, I'm from this tribe. I, I descended from this, line, this lineage, this group of people. You know, my, my tribe were kings. You know, like bragging. You know, he said, avoid those kind of things, genealogies, because uh, it makes you pride. It makes you, it makes you proud. Um, we see a lot of, I see a lot of ethnic pride in our culture. Um, and like I said, I'm, not, I'm talking about the wrong kind of pride. The pride where uh, you, you, you decry other ethnicities because of yours. You know, anytime you, 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 you idolize one thing, you have to demonize the opposite. If you idolize... Uh, your ethnicity, you have to demonize the other ethnicities or the other races. If you idolize uh, one political party, you demonize the other. If you idolize one form of theology, you demonize the other. You have to do that to make yourself feel better or to make your, your ideology or your race more than or superior than. And so this is what they were doing. They were idolizing. It was, it was, it was ethnic pride. Let me read something, a commentary on this I thought was really good. Um, When curious men, forgetting to gather fruit from the sacred histories, seize on the lineage of races and trifles of that nature with which they weary themselves without advantage. They weary themselves without advantage over their ethnicity and their pride. You know, there's a lot of sacred history you can get from your, from the, from your history of your people, and that's fine and good. Um, but they kind of ignore that and, and, and focused on um, the prideful aspect of it, and begin to brag. And it was to no advantage. For what? 
There is nothing, there is nothing uh, spiritual about your race. There's nothing spiritual or superior about it. Um, I mean, it's fine to, to acknowledge. I think God made us different for a reason, and that's good, um, that God made all these different races and ethnicities and different shades of skin. That's good. That's awesome. But there's nothing spiritual about it. And what people try to do is spiritualize and to say, because I'm this, therefore, my people were here first, and you all come from us. So therefore, that makes us up here. And without us, you wouldn't even exist. That kind of stuff. As if God has a preference of races. And there's, there's, there's whole, uh, quote-unquote, uh, spiritual groups, if you will. That's their whole foundation, black Hebrew Israelites. That's their whole foundation. You know, that the original Hebrews were black, and so therefore, the original Israelites were black only, and white people have no part in salvation or in none of that. Ethnic pride. We are better than because of this, that, or the other. Um, I want to read, uh, I want to go to Philippians chapter 3. There's a few verses I want to read on this. This is kind of a pet peeve of mine, this whole race thing. And so I can kind of go off on this. So um, pray that I stay, um, you know. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading at verse 3. And this is Paul speaking. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not but confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I more. Paul said, look, if anybody got reason to boast about ethnicity, I do. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul said, my resume is all that. I was a true blue Jew, Israelite. If it, I'm, I'm, I was it. Azazel, persecuting the church, even talk about, I persecuted those folks that wasn't Jewish, who deviated from the law. As to the righteousness that's in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss. Why? Because of Christ. My whole resume, God said, I, Paul said, I destroyed it. I, I burned it in the fire. I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. Paul said my whole ethnic resume means nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I got a resume to brag about racially, if you want to go there. He said, but it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's how we ought to see ourselves as Christians. We are Christians first and then whatever. 
Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you what Paul. Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. I think is where I want. Yeah. This is Paul speaking again. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people. He said, I was, I was ahead of everybody. Every other Jewish guy, he said, I was, I was surpassing them all in Judaism. Because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He said, I was zealous for the traditions of my ancestors, my ethnic lineage I was zealous for. And he's talking about the oral traditions that were passed down through Judaism called the Halakha is what it was called. And he said, I was committed to that. I was zealous for that. He said, and actually that that law, the Halakha, became equivalent to and even greater than the scripture itself in some cases. And Paul said, I was committed. And that's a problem in itself. But he said, I was committed to the oral traditions of my people that were passed down orally. I was committed to that as a Jew. So much so that I persecuted the church. But look, listen to what he said. But the, like I said, the law, those laws became equivalent to scripture. His ethnicity, his race became equivalent to what God said in his mind. Verse uh, 15, but after all of that, being zealous for the traditions and all that, he said, but contrast, when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Now, he got Paul, who was just true blue Jew. He said, and then God called, I was persecuting the church, zealous equally to my racial ethnicity as I was to scripture. He said, but then God called me. He said, first of all, from my mother's womb, before I was even conceived, God had called me to reveal his son in me, to preach his son to Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. Paul said, God called this Jewish man who was zealous for his ethnicity. Now, I want you to go. Once I reveal my son to you, I want you to go and preach my son to people who don't look like you. People who didn't acknowledge my law, who didn't had nothing to do with my law. I want you to go and preach zealously to those people. When you think about that. It's like. God calling uh, a black pastor to go plant a church next door to a white supremacist group and say, okay, that's why I want you to go plant a church right there to them people that you think are. Or having a white pastor go plant a church next to the new Black Panther headquarters. And I want you to reveal Jesus to them. It's like, what? But I'm, 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 a, I'm Jew. I'm a Jewish. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud about this. I, they, Gentiles are dogs to the Jews. But 
when God, who called me from my mother's womb, revealed his son to me. That's where the change became. When Christ was revealed to, to Paul. When Christ gets revealed to us, that changes everything. That changes everything. He said, but when God, who from my mother's womb, set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Paul said, I didn't go to anybody else. I didn't go to the other Jews, to the, the original Paul. I didn't go to none of them to get confirmed what God had said to me. When God says, okay, uh, go and preach to those who don't look like you, I don't need to go and ask anybody from my race for permission to do that. I don't need to go and say, well, you know what, guess what, I'm, I'm supposed to go preach to, to these white folks. Should I, should I be doing that? He said, I didn't consult with any. When God speaks, when God says, this is what you are to do, the question is, am I going to be committed to God or to my race? Am I going to be committed to God or my ethnicity? Am I going to be committed to God or my political party? Am I going to be committed to God or fill in the blank? When God spoke, that was it for Paul. He said, I didn't consult, I didn't consult with anybody. So we got to ask ourselves, where is my commitment? Am I committed to God and scripture or am I committed to my ancestors? Am I going to be committed to God and scripture or am I committed to my church denomination? Am I going to be committed to God or some other idol? Because we can make our race an idol. Our genealogy, our history, my ancestors, I can make all of that into a God. And I, I, I see it, I see it all the time. But the traditions of my ancestors are not equivalent to scripture. The traditions, the old traditions of my people, if it contradicts what God said, guess what? It goes out the door. So that's what he's talking about when he says genealogies, ethnicity, ethnic pride. I can't be committed to that. And, and like I said, even, even a political party, you know, it, it, it scares me sometimes. We are to be involved in a political process as believers and as citizens, and that's fine and dandy. But we got to be careful that we don't equate a political party with God. Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not a liberal. He's none of that. So we got to be careful that we don't uh, put those on par level, you know, a political party and theology. Now, I understand that there are some um, policies that may line up with scripture. That's, I, I get that. But don't make that equivalent to scripture itself. And I see a lot of Christians do that. A lot of Christians do that. They're almost, like I said, they, they, they make the, 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 the political party almost equivalent to scripture itself. Okay. Genealogies. Quarrels. What's he talking about? 
strife, fightings, rivalries. He said avoid quarrels. And if you look in Galatians 5, that's one of the works of the flesh. <laughs> it's quarreling and fighting. Strife is the word for there. And that's what it, it's one of the works of the flesh. Paul said avoid fighting. It's easy to get caught up. It's easy to start fighting about uh, stuff that you are passionate about. You know, especially us who love theology and love the truth. And it's so easy to want to plummet somebody with the truth and beat somebody over the head with scripture and get into a fight because of their theological error. I get that. You know, it's so tempting to want to do that. But Paul said, avoid that. He said, don't get caught up in those quarrels. It's the work of the flesh. Disputes about the law. Again, it's talking about fightings. Disputes, arguing about the law. And the Judaizers, again, come to mind. Um, one thing about the Judaizers, one, thing, one reason it was so dangerous, what they were teaching, was because it destroyed the, uh, the, 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 the doctrine of justification by faith. Because they said, not only do you need to be justified by Jesus Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. And so that's why Paul's so adamant about that um, in the book of Galatians and Romans. Um, uh, so their theology was dangerous. Um, but Paul said, don't get into senseless, foolish arguments and fights about that. About disputes about the law. Okay. Uh, you know, when somebody, it's different between when somebody asks a question and wants to have a question about whether it be the law or whatever, um, and they're ambitious and wanting to know the truth, that's good. So we're not talking about that. You can discuss that. And, and go. But usually <laughs> a quarrel, usually in a, in a fight, the object is to win. <laughs> when you're in a quarrel about somebody, whether it's physically or, or verbally, the object is to win the debate, the argument. And and we are not to get caught up in that. All, and all you want to do is win the argument. You're not necessarily concerned about the soul of the individual. Your main point is to just prove to them that I'm right. I'm proving to you that you're a heretic. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the goal. <laughs> and it's easy to get caught up in that. And that's what Paul is talking about. He said, avoid that. Quarrels and disputes about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Unprofitable. In other words, it's not beneficial to anybody. It's not serviceable. We are servants as followers of Christ. And getting into senseless, foolish arguments about that is not very serviceable. And it's not beneficial to you or the other person. So don't do that. It's, 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 it's um, unprofitable and worthless. And worthless means it's void of results. It's not gonna, you're not going to get any results from that. You're not going to get any results from arguing with folk especially if you get the wrong attitude, it's, it's pointless. Avoid conversations that don't contribute to godliness and faith. Avoid conversations that don't contribute to godliness and faith. They're unprofitable and worthless. Okay. Verse 10. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Reject. The word means to avoid and to ask them to be excused. Avoid, reject a divisive person at the first and second morning. Avoid them, ask them to be excused. And a divisive person means a heretic in the Greek. 
And we all know that word, heretic. <laughs> we see a lot of them. Paul says, avoid a heretic. And a heretic is one who causes division, a factious person, one who chooses for himself. And again, in Galatians 5, uh, factious is a work of the flesh. So a heretic is, working out, is operating out of their flesh. One who causes division, factious, and chooses for himself. He attaches himself to an opinion that is not sound and threatens the unity of the church. That's what a heretic does. They have no biblical basis for their belief. None whatsoever. A heretic, one who's divisive. Heretics teach heresy which is also a division. God despises and hates false teaching. He hates heresy with all that is in him. And for a very good reason. False teaching, heresy will turn a heart away from God. It will lead you away from God. Let's look at a few scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter four. Verse one. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. That's the word is apostasy. Some will apostatize, fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars who con whose consciences are seared. They will depart from the, from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. False teaching, heresy, comes from the devil. And it caused them to depart from the faith. The devil's goal is to get you to depart from the faith, from the truth. And that's what heretics, heretics teach. It causes you to leave the faith, to depart from the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's a few pages over. I'm going to start at verse 3. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness... He is conceited, understanding nothing, but having a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. We just talked about that. Somebody who teaches falsely has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarrelings, which we talked about, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among men whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, those who teach false doctrine, they are conceited, understanding nothing, having a sick, sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. Some people, some people just like to argue. They just like to prove their point. They're not really interested in truth at all. That's not, that's not their motive. It's not truth. 
And I think we've all either been in conversations with people like that or have heard conversations with people like that. Some people, like I said, they're not interested in the truth. You can give them all the evidence in the world about the truth of Scripture, of Jesus Christ. You can give them all of that, and it makes no difference at all. Why? Because that's not their goal. Their, their, their goal is not interest in the truth. They just want to argue. They just want to argue. That's all they're interested in. And Paul says, avoid that. They're heretics. Like I said, God, uh, false teaching is so serious to God. I'm going to go to the Old Testament. This is not just a New Testament thing, by the way. God just didn't uh, begin to hate uh, bad teaching in the New Testament. I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Even in the Old Testament, God was very serious about bad theology. There is nothing in the world more important than truth. Nothing more important than truth. And if anybody ought to know that, that's why the Bible talks so much about truth. You know, John saying, I, 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 I rejoice to hear that my children are walking in truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. There's so many scriptures that talk about truth. And scripture, when it talks about truth, is always singular. They depart from the truth, not truths, plural. It's always singular. Uh, study to show thyself approved to God. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's never plural. Because there's only one solid body of truth, and it's called the Bible. All the truth that you need to know is in this book. So there's not uh, a plurality of truths. There's one body of truth called the Holy Scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 23. And there's a lot of verses here, but I want to read it. I want to read it all to put it in context. And this is God condemning false prophets in the Old Testament through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm going to start at verse 13. Among the prophets of Samaria... I saw something disgusting. This is God talking. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Like I said, false teaching will lead you away from God. Even in the Old Testament, he says it. They prophesied by Baal, a false god, and led my people Israel astray. Among the prophets of Jerusalem also I, heard, I saw a horrible thing. They committed adultery and walked in lies. They strengthened the hands of evildoers and none turns his back on evil. They are all like Sodom to me. Jerusalem's residents are like Gomorrah. And we know what Sodom and Gomorrah was like and what happened to them as a result. He said, this is what they are like. Verse 15, therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says concerning the, concerning the prophets. This is what God is saying about these false prophets here. I'm about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has spread throughout the land. Throughout the land. How did it spread? Through false teaching. Ungodliness has spread through false teaching. The, the, the Old Testament prophet will be equivalent to a New Testament pastor. Verse 16. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are making you worthless. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. You hear what he said? He said, they're speaking vision from their own mind. They didn't get this from me. He said, this is from their own mouths. 
Let me bring this up to 2015. God said, they speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They didn't get that stuff from me. They didn't get that prosperity stuff from me. They didn't get that your best life now stuff from me. They didn't get that you can be gay and Christian stuff from me. They didn't get that, you know, hell is not real, love, hell is not real, love wins. They didn't get that from me. That came from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. To everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his heart, they have said, no harm will come to you. Everybody who's walking in uh, uh, autonomy, he said, the, the false prophet said to them, no harm will come to you. Do what you want to do. God doesn't care. God is love. No harm will come to you. Live the way you want. As long as you just love everybody. God said, they didn't get that from me. They didn't get that from me. Verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and obeyed? God said, who's listening to me? Who is listening to me? Look, a storm from the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling storm. It will whirl about the head of the wicked. Listen to what God said. A storm from the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling storm. It will whirl about the head of the wicked. God is mad. He's angry. Verse 20, the Lord's anger will not turn back until he has completely fulfilled the purpose of his heart. Wow. God said, I ain't going to be done until I'm satisfied, until I've said, done what I said I was going to do. All because of heresy. False teaching. In time to come, you will understand it clearly. When judgment falls, then you understand. See, that's, a lot of times that's what has to happen. Judgment has to fall first, and then people say, oh. God always sends warning before judgment. Always. And if you don't listen, judgment comes. And then he said, okay, then you're, then you're going to clearly understand what I was saying. Verse 21, I did not send these prophets. They ran with a message. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them back from their evil ways and their evil deeds. If they had really stood in my counsel, if they had been in prayer and in scripture, they would have known better. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have got a different message. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have heard, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. That's what they would have heard if they had stood in my counsel. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have heard this, the tr what I'm really saying, the true scripture, and not something from their own minds. They would have heard, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If they had stood in my counsel, that's what they would have got from me. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them back from their evil ways. They would have caused my people to repent. See, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have heard me saying, tell my people to repent. Tell the nation to repent. That's my counsel. See, in the Old Testament especially, there was rarely 
Because the children of Israel were so rebellious, there was really good counsel from God. Because they were so wicked and rebellious. And so God had us in judgment over and over and over again. See, God is not, and I keep saying this, but it's true, God is not Mr. Rogers. He might be sometimes. <laughs> but God is not this nice uh, cotton candy God that we envision in our mind. And so when God acts contrary to what we think, we have a, everybody has a portfolio of God in their mind of, of who they think God should be. And it's usually not scriptural. So when God, the real God, doesn't line up with our portfolio, we get confused. And we reject him. I reject that God. I reject the God who doesn't embrace. You just committed an idol. You just first broke the first commandment. Because you've created a God, thank you, and the second. Because you created a God in your own image. You know, the Bible says, uh, man, God created man in his, in his image and in his likeness. And every now and then, we like to return to favor and create God in our image and our likeness. And it causes us to be judged by God. God is not what you always, what you want him to be. If, if you created God in, in, in your own mind and you realize that's not the real God and you reject him, you just, you want to be, basically it boils down to you just wanting to be God. I'm God, and if the God in my mind doesn't submit to me, then it's crazy. It's crazy. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them back from their evil ways and their evil deeds. Verse 23, am I a God, am I a God who is only near and not a God who is far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? What are you going to hide from God? I have heard what the prophets who prophesy a lie in my name have said. God said, I've heard everything they said to you. I had a dream. I had a dream, they say. How long will this continue in the minds of the prophets prophesying lies? Prophets of the deceit of their own minds. Through their dreams that they tell one another, they make plans to cause my people to forget my name as their fathers forgot my name through bell worship, through idolatry. That's what caused their fathers, their ancestors, to go into sin. Verse 28. The prophet who has only a dream shall recount the dream, but the one who has my word shall speak my word truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain? Is not my word like fire and like a sledgehammer that pulverizes rock? Therefore, take note, I am against the prophets who steal my words from each other. God said, I am against them. I am against those prophets, those false teachers. I am against the prophets who use their own tongues to deliver an oracle. An oracle is a message. Who use their own tongues to deliver a message. I am against those who prophesy false dreams, telling them and leading my people astray with their falsehoods and their boastings. It was not I who sent or commanded them, and they are of no benefit at all to you, to these people. This is the Lord's declaration. That's how God feels about heresy. That's why Paul said, reject a, her a heretic after a first 
and second warning. That's how serious, how serious this is to God. Spurgeon says, uh, one who really turns aside from the truth and sets up something contrary to the word of God, what is to be done with him? Burn him, says the Church of Rome, the Catholic Church during his day. Find him, put him in prison, says other churches. But the inspired apostle says only this. Just exclude him from the church, that is all. Leave him to his utmost liberty to go where he likes, believe what he likes, and do what he likes. But at the same time, you as Christian people must disown him. That is all you ought to do except to pray and labor for his restoration. Reject him, kick him out the church, that's all. You ain't got to beat him up or nothing. Leave, excuse him. Like the scripture says, ask him to excuse himself. You're done, you're out of here. But it's not, hopefully, it's to restore him. The Bible talks about that. You want, what you want is that person to see the error of the waste through disfellowshipping, through disowning, hopefully bring conviction about them, cause them to, re- to repent, and then bring them back into the fold. It's not to reject them totally, hopefully. But we are to reject them. That's how serious false teaching is to God. I don't even want them amongst my people because it causes them to deviate from me and to leave me. And we watch TV today, it's all over Christian television. And so we, but we, we are so, we, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a culture and society where, you know, we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want to offend anybody, even in the church. So therefore, when a heretic shows up and speaks, well, you know, we can disagree. No, 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 no. Not when it comes to that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. Get rid of them. Out of, you out of here. That's not very loving. That's most loving. That's most loving. Because you have a clue what real love is. We have a distortion of even what love is in the church. That's true love. When I, when I, I'm not loving you if I do not tell you the truth. If I do not tell you the truth, I am not loving you. Love isn't kissy-kissy all the time. Love is, brother, you need to stop cheating on your wife. You in sin, you need to repent. That's love. Brother, y'all ain't married. You need to move out of her house. Y'all ain't married. You're in sin. And I'm saying this because I love you. And God's going to bring the judgment of God upon you. And I don't want to see that. So therefore, because I love you, you need to repent. No, you can't be saved and holiness is still right. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. God said, reject a heretic. After a first and second warning. Now, I'm going to give you this one warning. Okay, brother, you need to stop that. You need to stop that. You need to get it right. If he continues, listen, this is the second time I came to you. And this might go right along with, with Matthew 18 where, where Jesus talks about, you know, if a person sins, you take them, you go to them yourself. And then if they don't listen, you go to the, uh, you take a person with you. And if they don't listen, then you bring them before the church. Same, same concept. After the second time, listen. The second time, bro. We don't warn you twice. The elders came to you two times concerning this. This is it. And if they continue 
You're done. They get the boot. And we're going to pray that you repent and receive back into the fold. But you will not stay here and teach that foolishness. You didn't get that from us. You've been watching too much television. <laughs> You've been watching too much of that one guy. <laughs> Reject them after the first and second warning. Verse 11. Knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. Perverted means to turn inside out and to change entirely. A heretic is somebody who changes entirely what scripture says. They turn it inside out. Well, what this really means is they're perverted and they're in sin. They're perverted and they're in sin. Heresy totally changes what scripture says. And we see this all over the place on television. That, that the whole prosperity thing is a prime example of that, of turning what scripture really means inside out and teaching it as truth. God wants you rich. He wants everybody rich. You should never suffer. You should never be depressed. Heresy. They turn it inside out and change entirely what God meant. And it's called heresy, a division. It divides itself from the actual truth. It's called apostasy. There's theological apostasy, and there's also moral apostasy. Your life is so depraved that you apostatize morally. But we're talking about theological apostasy in particular. A division, you divide yourself, you separate yourself from, from truth. That person is perverted and self-condemned which means they sin willfully against knowledge. They cannot say that nobody told me, and therefore they bring judgment on themselves. Because they've been warned twice already. So they can't say, I didn't know. Paul said, oh yeah, you did. <laughs> you were warned at least twice. So therefore, because of that, you bring judgment upon yourself. You are self-condemned. You're in sin and you are self-condemned. And that word in the Greek is Anakadakritos, and it means doing himself what he condemns in others. That's what heretics do. They don't even live up to their own ideology. They're perverted, they're twisted. Perverted is, you're twisted. When something is perverted, it's twisted, it's turned inside out. You know, that's why certain behavior is considered a perversion. You know, uh, uh, pedophilia is considered as per a perversion. Uh, bestiality. That's the perversion. Sex with animals is the perversion. That's twist, twisted. That's turned inside out. That's what, it, that's what heretics do theologically. They twist and pervert scripture and truth. Knowing that a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. Okay. With all of this, that's why we thank God for the gospel. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, um, foolish debates and genealogy quarrels, disputes about the law, Jesus' life perfectly, Jesus, he never got into foolish debates. He didn't brag about his genealogy. He didn't quarrel foolishly. He didn't get into foolish disputes about the law. 
He wasn't a heretic. So even if I once was all of this stuff, Jesus Christ wipes my plate clean once I come to him. I am no longer any of these things because of what he did in my place. So in spite of, and, and, and the thing is, when somebody, when somebody, uh, when a heretic is discovered and rejected, they're not, there's not a hopeless situation for them because of the gospel. Like I said, our hope is that they come and do repent and believe the true gospel because there is a such thing as a false gospel. And so uh, because of Jesus Christ, the true gospel can come and wipe their, wipe their history clean, their plate clean from all of this. So we thank God. And as we get ready to take communion, uh, let us thank God. First of all, we, gotta, we, are not, we don't want to brag about um, our church or anything like that. But we got to understand that we are in a place where sound theology is taught. And I don't say that because I'm up here teaching. But we are in a place where sound theology is taught. Uh, and, and we're learning not to get involved in any of this stuff and become any of this. We're learning that. That's, we learn that through truth. Because we don't want God to write Ichabod over ECC. You know what I'm saying? The glory has departed. We don't want that to happen here. So we're grateful that God, and all of us as, as, as elders here, listen, listen. This is a humbling position to be in. It's also a scary position to be in because we can fall into this pride. We can fall into ethnic pride. We can fall into uh, theological pride. It's easy to do that. So pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for us as elders that we uh, become like Paul, who I think is a perfect example uh, of an elder, <laughs> an earthly elder, if you will. Um, we want to be the kind of church that promotes godliness and faith. So we thank God for this truth. I mean, it wasn't all very encouraging today. <laughs> um, but see, one of the benefits of teaching exponentially and going through books of the Bible verse by voice, verse by verse is that you have to deal with this. See, I, we could have just skipped over verses 8 through 11 and said, you know what, let's just go to, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we could have skipped over these verses. Those are too tough to deal with. I don't want to get into that. It, it might turn some people away. But when, you, when you're going through books of the Bible, it forces you to deal with tough verses. And that's what I love about doing that. Because we don't want to deal with tough situations in our, in our church today. A lot of churches will avoid these verses. They won't even touch it. Because it, they say, well, that causes division. And, well, sometimes division is good. You need to, you need to, <laughs> some folks you don't want in your church. And so you want to teach some truth that might push them out. <laughs> Seriously. You know, not, I'm not, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a harsh, hateful way. But I mean truth 
sometimes will push out the riffraff. And if that is, so be it. We don't want anybody here who doesn't want to walk in truth. You know, it's not our job to make anybody do anything, but the Holy Spirit hopefully will bring conviction. That's, that's what we want. When we, preach, when we preach the Word of God, we want the Holy Spirit uh, to bring conviction upon people who are in sin, including, starting with me. The Bible says the, the husbandman, the farmer, is the first partaker of the fruit. I'm the first one preparing this message. I'm looking, you know, I got to... So it starts with me. Um, so that's the kind of church we want to be. So as we, as we take in communion, we want to thank God for truth. We want to thank God for Jesus, who is the epitome of truth. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And so, Lord, as we partake, we thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection that allows us and causes us to want to even be in the truth. And we thank you that after your ascension, you sent your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit that convicts us of truth and righteousness and judgment. Convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. We thank you for your Spirit, Lord God. That even when we do miss the mark in these verses, that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction and allow us to repent and get back into the fold. So we thank you for that. And as we partake, of your broken body. Thank you for loving us enough to do this and not cast us aside because of our own heresy. Thank you, Lord, that you don't cast us aside, but you loved us enough to die in our place. So as we partake, we say thank you. Also, Lord, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We thank you that your blood was shed to cleanse us from our sin from our quarrelings, our heresy, Lord God, our disputes about the law and all of this, our, our ethnic pride, Lord God, being proud of being black and being proud of being white in the negative sense. Thank you, Lord God, that you died to cleanse us of that and your blood washes that foolishness away from us, Lord God. And we thank you. And as we drink, we say thank you for the shed blood of your son. So, Lord, once again, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for your word, even your tough word, that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. These are not easy verses, Lord God, but we thank you that you don't make it easy for us all the time. We thank you that you love us enough to confront us, that you love us enough to confront our, our error, our heresy, and our own sin. Thank you for loving us enough to confront us. Help us to be loving enough to confront our brothers and our sisters in their sin, Lord God. And so once again, we thank you. We glorify you and we love you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.